Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're talking about imperfect faith. And, you know, I'm a, I like to say I'm a golfer, but I golf, okay? So I golf, and I wish I was a golfer. But in golf, golf is an extremely ridiculous and weird sport created by the British, right? Or was it the Irish? I don't know. The Scots, okay. I like the Scots. I'm not going to make fun of them. They're, they're great. Okay. But this is a weird game, and it is one of the most counterintuitive games you could ever try to play. And when you go play it, you think you should be good at it, and you're not. And there's like one out of 50,000 people that just somehow know how to swing a club. But swinging a golf club is like a really hard thing to do. And it's very complicated, and it's just really weird mechanics. And so the, the only way you can learn how to to swing a golf club is through coaching, I'm convinced. The primary way to learn this is through that. And then the way they teach you is through a concept they call like a swing thought. So you can't think of the 50 things you have to do to move your body in this ridiculous, weird way that you like, and you hit this ball and it somehow goes straight. Right? When you watch somebody do it, they go, oh, that's easy. And then you do it, you'll hit one, and you'll be like, I'm amazing. And then you hit 500 more that are terrible. Because it's not easy. And then you hit one more. Your 501th one, you hit better, and you're like, oh, I'm going to be awesome. And that's how they keep you paying for more and more golf. <laughs> that's a $500 golf shot. And then all your other ones go in the woods, right? So when you swing a golf club, you get this swing thought in your head. They're like, just think about one thing. Just one thing at a time. I'm going to just like work on my follow-through. I'm going to work on where I shift my weight from right to left, right, however it is, okay? And my grip, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to think about swinging through in my, they call it syncopation, getting it all at the right timing so I can hit a golf ball, okay? Now, in Christianity, in your discipleship, this is a great thing to apply to our discipleship. You, there's no way you could think about all the things at one time. And in faith, and everything I'm going to say today, you might not be able to think about all this stuff at once, but if you get one swing thought in your head, it's that all you need is enough faith. Okay? You just need enough. You need enough to start. If that is already good for you, then I want you to get this swing thought in your head. God has designed your faith to grow. You need a mature faith. Okay, so you pick one or the other. Enough faith or mature faith. Both will motivate you to action and movement. Are you ready? So somehow we're going to cram in virtually the entire life of Abraham into this one message. Here we go. We're going to lay a foundation here with a few scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Or, yeah, that's right. Verse 1. I did it right. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Because let's slow around there. Faith shows the reality Faith is not talking about, like, a lot of people criticize Christianity and criticize our faith in Jesus because they're like, you're just believing in this wild thing that doesn't exist. Like, no, this is the faith in something that is actually real you cannot see. And it's Jesus himself. He said, blessed are those who believe in me and don't see when he was talking to doubting Thomas. And he finally has Thomas, like, has to put his hands in his side and in his and in his nail hands, right? Holes in his hands. He's like, blessed are those who don't get this opportunity, but they believe in the reality of who I actually am. You can leave that up there, bro. I'm going to keep working that one. Here we go. It's the reality of what we actually hope for. 
It's the evidence of the things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So if you're wondering about the Big Bang or the universe and how it all started, it all started from something that no one could see. It was from the, faith, the seed faith in God's heart, and he spoke it into existence, and there it was. And then we see the evidence of all of that faith that was released when he spoke the world into existence. Pretty rad. If you're from the 80s, you can say, that's rad. That's right. Matthew 17, 20. You don't have enough faith. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had enough faith, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Hebrews 11.8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Come on, guys. There are always gaps when we are dealing with faith, there's a huge gap between where we are and where we want to be. There's a huge gap between the substance of what it takes to make something that God has promised come to be. There's a huge gap in the substance. All the parts and pieces aren't there. Faith is, 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 the, is the thing that fills in the gaps. God, you can create something out of nothing. There's no way I could get to there when I'm here. And there's no way I could build this with what I have. I can't build this with that. But God, you can. If you've seen The Chosen in one of the last episodes where the kids bring the, the two loaves and, uh, or, or the whatever, five loaves and two fish, and he brings, that's always different, right? So he brings the, the loaves and the fish to Jesus and it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. There's no, it's in the Bible, bro. <laughs> I'm going to spoil the chosen for you. Everything in the chosen is in the Bible. <laughs> oh, I love you, bro. You're awesome. Spoiler alert. The chosen is about the Bible. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, but what they had was not nearly enough for what they needed and what God was going to do. But what they had was faith, and that was enough. It was enough. It was actually way more than enough. They just had this little bit of basket and that was a seed and their faith in Jesus and Jesus's faith is what multiplied all that to feed 5,000 people. In the life of Abraham, we look at an imperfect faith. Abraham had an imperfect faith and then Abraham had a growing faith 
And then he moved into a maturing faith. And that's what I want us to think about today, is an imperfect faith is actually what God starts with. It, and it never becomes perfect, by the way. Not for one person do they ever have perfect faith. We see great faith, we see growing faith, and we see imperfect faith, and then we see enough faith, and sometimes we see not enough faith. Huh? The Bible calls that unbelief. And if we look back at that Matthew 17, 20 passage, he says to the disciples, you don't have enough. In, in, in other verses, it says that it, you have unbelief. You do not believe enough. If you believed enough, even all I need is a tiny little mustard seed, and we can get this thing done. You just need enough faith. Even if the rest of it is all imperfect, we just need to bring him enough. It's our loaves and fishes. It's a little basket of faith. It's all we need to get started. But faith is not a light switch. Faith is not a willpower effort. If I just faith grow, <laughs> that doesn't make your faith grow. Just try like just to just grow it in there and we just pray more fervently and harder and just grind it out like that does not actually cause your faith to grow faith grows over time and it grows in a process and let's just look at abraham's extremely imperfect example of faith and he was heralded in in hebrews as having great faith and it was really imperfect when you kind of look at all the steps. But what he accomplished, what he did in, by the finish line was great. But just like a mustard seed, it's designed to grow. And like this tree that starts out of the smallest of things, where believe God is so cool that he just tells us, I just need you to be able to have faith for the smallest of things. Just have faith for your parking space. Why not? You want to start really small? Do that. I'm all, I've always been kind of critical of people that pray for parking spaces, but then my wife always gets the best ones. And I don't pray for parking spaces because I don't have faith for that. Maybe it's a lesson in there. I don't know. Kind of like, I, don't, I can need the steps. It's probably God's will that I park way out on the very end. Yeah. Lean me down a little bit. But just like Joan, I heard my wife laugh at that one. That's funny. Um, she's laughing again. She's laughing even louder this time. Okay. Our faith begin, begins from what we can't see. But it, when you look at a mustard seed, you can't see the tree. Right? But you still have something. You can't see the tree, but you still have something. And you have something that has great potential. But just like a tree, like you put it in the ground, it doesn't just go jacking the beanstalk on you right? Your faith in your life can't grow like Jack and the Beanstalk either. It takes time. It takes weathering. It takes sunlight. It takes this growth season after season. And like a tree, it gets weathered and worn and it survives one year. And then it puts on another little growth ring. And it's like, I'm bigger and stronger today. Its roots go down and it gets a little bit bigger and strong. Gets a little bit more leaves so it can soak up a little bit more, right? Until it actually grows to a point where it now is mature enough to produce fruit. Your faith works the same way. My faith works the same way. We've just got to be staying in the game. We have to 
be okay with the fact that our faith starts out immature. And immature things and people, guess what they do? Immature things. You're like, wow, that was really profound. I know. It honestly doesn't need to be more profound than that because it is that simple. And our shame keeps us from accepting the fact that God loves to use imperfect people. He loves you, imperfect, and he loves the journey. I swear, the Father God loves this journey. He's like, oh, this is going to be good. We're going to start out with this imperfect little thing, and they're going to get started praying for parking spaces and praying for little things, and then they're going to start praying for souls. They're going to start praying for people they care about to see them encounter him the way I encountered them. And they're going to start praying for every person that comes by them in their work at workplace. Oh, God, I'm going to believe God for favor and blessing over every person. You're a cashier. Your face starts to rise up, and you're like, hey, you don't have to be perfect, but dadgummit, you can pray over every single person that's checking out at your little Home Depot line. You run, you're in a coffee shop, whatever you're at. You can pray blessing over every single person that's going by. Come on. They won't see it coming. Exactly. You work at the donut shop, man. Start tithing. Start tithing donuts. All right? And you start blessing people that come through. I'm just teasing. The primary way and function that people believe uh, uh, grow in their faith and grow in every single way, and we learn, and we're going to see this in Abraham's life, is we learn through, we learn through like getting information, acquiring information. I see it, somebody tells it to me, I read it somewhere, and I go, ooh, that's interesting. I'd like to be able to do that. Then the, that's, like, that's like climbing a ladder, that's like one one side of climbing a ladder, and I like to watch you, I see you, I learn something, just get it in my head, I get a thought in my head, I could do that, somebody does that, and then the other step is I'm going to try it, and then I can climb, but if I just learn, I'm not trying to just learn, 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 spend all my time in the books, and all my time just reading the Bible, all my time reading past things that Christians were doing, that God was doing, that he wants to do today, if I just keep trying to climb with one arm, I'm not going to get very far, and I'm going to get stuck on the ladder. But God designed you to use both arms and both legs when you learn. And it is a get in your head, get in your idea, in your mind space, and then try it, apply it, get it going, and you take another step. And that's the only way you're going to climb and grow in your faith, is one rung at a time, one step at a time, one ring of your tree at a time. And I know Lee is just saying, Josh, you're using too many metaphors at one time. That's one of the things she always told me not to do. Don't use so many metaphors, but you get to figure it out, both metaphors, all right? They're both good. (laughs) Get over it. Oh, so good. I, I, would, I would do 10 metaphors. <sighs> if Lee, at least, least was, swing thought wasn't in my head there about, I was, that was maybe three. Okay, I got three going. Here we go. Keep them all straight. Keep them all straight, church. To grow, we have to climb. And it takes steps of faith in thought and faith in action. We can't just hear it and not do it. James says that real faith is believing and doing. Real belief is a mixture of two things at one time, believing, hearing, and obeying. 
doing both things, and that causes us to grow. If you want your faith to grow, you first need a seed. You need a seed thought that you could do it, or that God says, I want you to do it. He likes both, by the way. He's like, you see in the Bible, some people heal? What the? People get healed by the presence of God. You get that in your brain, you're like, I want to try that. I just want to try it. God loves that. He just go out there and start doing it. Totally imperfect. Abraham gets this call from God. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will bless others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Okay, this is one dude. We see the end product of the great big huge seed of faith that became a humongous tree and produced all this fruit. We're like, oh, every Christian in the world was a part of this promise. Every person who believes in Jesus, not just genetic Jews who believe, okay? It's every single person who trusts in Jesus is what this promise was all about. For thousands of years until Jesus returns, that's what he said to Abraham that day. And Abraham could never have known what that actually meant. But he's one dude wandering around in the desert, guys. He's like this one guy. And the Lord comes and speaks to him. And he's got he's to contend with this. Something he could not comprehend with his eyes and see. He could not imagine it. But he believed. And instantly, this imperfect guy just goes and does what God tells him to do. This is what God loved about Abraham. He didn't ask questions. He really just didn't. He just went and did it. Now, then he went on to do a bunch of weird kind of dumb stuff, okay? So on his way to fulfill this promise, to go to this land that God told him, he packs up all his stuff. Hebrews referenced it and said, hey, this was considered to him as righteousness. His faith actually is connected to his righteousness. Do you know that? It's true for you today too. Your faith is connected to your righteousness. When you choose Jesus, he makes you righteous. What the what? And then he causes you to live into that righteousness by faith. God, you can help me actually behave like my internal world has been shaped spiritually because of what you did for me. You can actually come into alignment with that righteousness through faith and then action. There's some things you're going to have to give up just like Abraham. But Abraham goes on. And in Genesis 12, we don't have the scriptures. It's just way too much to do all this, but... He goes and he ends up around Pharaoh's place and he can tell that Pharaoh, his wife, I guess Sarah was hot, okay? So in the Bible, Sarah was a 10. She had to be a 10. And it says that he knew she was a 10 and, and so he knew everywhere she was going to go, every ruler or whatever person was going to want her. And so he told her, hey, listen, let's pretend Let's just tell them all that you're my sister, because you are my sister, which is also weird, but that's also happened, okay? He goes, you are my sister, but we're not going to tell them I'm your husband, too, because I don't want to die. So on his way to the land that God called him to, he kind of makes up this big story, and then, of course, she shows up. She's super gorgeous, and she's like a supermodel, I guess, in the Old Testament times, and this Pharaoh's like, bang, 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 out of all the people in the whole flipping nation, he sees Sarah, and he's all like, yeah, I'm going to make you my wife. And then God thumps this guy and thumps Abraham, and <laughs> Abraham has to repent. And the Pharaoh's like, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this to me? And he kicks them all out, and Abraham's like, I don't know, I'm just weird, and I'm scared. 
So in his faith, he was afraid. And he tried to put his hands on it and work his own thing and manipulate it and try to get himself safe. Now, if God promised he was going to be able to go to this land, don't you think God would have protected him on his way there? And he wouldn't have had to get up to all his own shenanigans to get himself there. Listen, we're like this in our faith when we start out. We're immature. We get into all these little shenanigans and we get into this stuff. We put our hands on it. We think, I got to work this out and get it done my own way. And God's just like going, okay, hey, listen, it's going to be all right. I'm not revoking my promise in your life. And the thing I spoke to you when you were young, the thing I spoke to you when you were first believed about who God, who I made you to be and where I've called you to go to, I am not going to revoke that thing even just because you're learning along the way and you put your hands on it. That's okay. He's like, I got this. I'm God. It's kind of cool. And he lets Abraham make these mistakes. Now, he gives him some, some pretty not-so-gentle nudges, gentle nudges along the way, and he gets him back on track. And one of the things I want you and I to get is even in our imperfect faith, keep listening. Keep listening. Just keep listening. I, I, the Lord told me to go down to Washington to go to school, and I always wish I never did this, but the Lord, I really know that God told me to go do this. And I go down there, and I'm trying to get my degree, and then I switch my degree. I'm like grinding, grinding. We're running out of money, and we keep making babies. And <sighs> I'm working 50 hours a week and trying to go to school full-time, and then I start commuting. And I'm like, i got to at least get something out of that. And then I'm just grinding and grinding. And then it comes to like a gnarly halt at the end where I'm just worn out and wrung out. I almost drove off the road about 50 times. That's exaggeration, probably like 10. And... I mean, I mean it, was, it was a disaster. And, and my wife's like, I don't even know I married this joker. I'm like, I don't know why you married me either, you know? It was hard. I'm like, no, it's hard. Don't cry. Okay, you can cry. Feel your feelings. Tell the truth. Tell others the truth. Go. Okay. I, but it was a really hard grind. And then I get done, and I like sleeping, and I wake up, and I get rested after this little vacation I was forced to take. And then I'm like, Lord, what the heck is going on? He goes, I don't know. What are you doing? what you told me to do. He goes, do you know how long ago it was I told you that? I'm like, yeah, that was like two and a half years ago. He goes, do you think I might have been telling you something else along the way? I might have given you some other instruction. I'm like, I'm just trying to finish the last thing you told me to do. He's like, I love you, buddy. I was like, and then he started showing me like 10 other instruction points that I completely missed him on because I had my idea of how it needed to end. I had my idea of the land that he sent me into, of the way it needed to go. So I was putting my little shenanigans together and doing this and doing that and trying to, like, make things happen. And, you know, it was things that were in my strengths that I was good at and that, that I just applied without faith. I applied without listening. I applied without hearing the voice of God. And those are the ways we learn. And I learned a really good truth, just like Abraham that day. Hey, don't put your hands on the thing. Trust God in the process and keep coming back and listening. Just because he gives you one word doesn't mean he's not going to shift it. Sometimes he's got to get you, give you this thing way out there, and then he's just to get you moving, and he gets you going to the land, and then he's going to, if, if Abraham would have asked the Lord in this point, Lord, I'm afraid of going into Pharaoh's world here. What should I do? I bet you God would have given him some good instructions yep. that were better than pretend this chick's not your wife yep. and let Pharaoh marry her. Yeah. Weirdo. Okay, weird. Sometimes we're weirdos and we get weird ideas and we go back and we go, what the heck was I thinking? Imperfect faith, guys. It's okay. God's got you. He just needs a seed. He needs enough 
to get started, but you need enough faith to get moving. Get out of your stuck spot. The Lord's saying this to the church today. You need enough faith to get out of your stuck spot. A lot of these folks, I know Lee was telling me about, holy smokes, I'm going to run for assembly. Yeah, it took enough faith to get her up to do that, right? And and thank God, we need people of faith that have enough faith to do things that God has put in front of them. Each one of you has a call. There isn't one person in this room, even if you don't believe in Jesus, there isn't one of you in this room that does not have a call from the living God personally. And you may or may not be headed for it. You don't know, but you need to ask him, Lord, what in the world are you doing with me? And what do I need? I need enough faith to just take a step and then I'm going to let trust you in the way. So in your season of imperfect faith, don't beat yourself up. Keep turning back to the Lord. Just keep turning back to him and let him keep you moving. And don't let your wife get married to somebody else. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that makes sense. In chapters 14 through 17, we see Abraham's faith start to mature. And he starts to hear the Lord and tune in a whole lot more. And we see him with uh, him defeat this whole army and this whole nation, and, and, and then he blesses Melchizedek. I'm just going to wrap it up like that because there's no way I can tell this whole story. Is that he then, he, he starts to give of what God has blessed him with. Okay, so this, he moves into a season where he's still imperfect, guys. He does this same mistake twice, by the way, about giving his wife away. He does it two times, all right? So let's just say, sometimes we repeat our mistakes while our faith is growing. Any repeaters out there? Okay, not just me. Some repeaters out there, you're like, how in the world did I trick? I gave my wife away two times. And, and Sarah's like going, I'm a 10. <laughs> Apparently, if your wife's a 10, you can still give her away. I don't understand this math in Abraham's mind, but he captured this army and, and, and afterwards, you know, out of out of all the plunder and, and what he had, he tithes to this character, the, the king of Salem named Melchizedek. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews, actually, that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. This is like possibly Jesus who just showed up and he's like in the story. And Abraham gives him a tenth. This is where the tithe began, actually. Way before the law. This isn't about law. This is about your heart, and your faith, and giving to God what belongs to him. That's what tithe is all about. It's just giving of what belongs to him, and we give him our tenth. God blesses that. But faith, and as it matures, it requires sacrifice. And God then also speaks to Abraham this crazy thing in in, um, Genesis 15, verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside, and he said, look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. So that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the moment when he believed God about the promise of having a nation, even though he had no kids, and he was getting so old, it was not physically possible. What he had was not, he, him and Sarah were not capable of having kids anymore because they had gotten so old. 
It's just biological fact. And so he's going, but God, I believe you that you can do that because you're God. And this simple faith, even in the midst of his imperfections, was this beautiful thing that God's like, I can work with that. But God has, but, but Abraham has this crazy thing that happens in the midst of this is when God covenants with him, um, he asks him to give up something. And this is going to be, it's just in the Bible, okay? No preacher wants to say this out loud, okay? But when he covenants with Abraham, he says, listen, you're going to covenant with me. And as a sign, I'm I'm going to do this promise I promised you. You're going to circumcise yourself and all your kids and everybody who works with you, okay? If you know what circumcision is, I'm just saying you lose a very important part of you as a male, okay? And it is, a, that's a huge sacrifice. I'm just saying, he had to give up something to set himself aside for this call. And then God asked, I know, I didn't even want to say that one out loud. It's just in the Bible. It cost him something, a part of his flesh, guys. And this is the thing, it's things that are important to us that, are, that cause us to feel important or be important. God is asking in the maturity of our faith, there's a moment where he's going to ask you to give that thing up. And in, in, the, in the New Testament, it's translated into the circumcision of your heart. Is what does your heart desire? And what is it desiring for? And what is it worshiping? Yourself? What, protecting yourself, your flesh, your, what, what, what makes you feel and be good or, 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 or be important, and the things that you go after, that, that circumcision of your heart, God is looking to cut those things off and away that are useless and not necessary for your life in him. But this is part of the maturing of our faith, guys, is that it's no joke to step up in your faith. There comes a point in your faith where it's not just parking spaces and blessing just people going by. There comes a part where God is going to call you to risk something that impacts you as a person. Uh, I mean, we have political candidates here that stand for life, pro-life. That costs you something. In our world today, that's a shark tank. And and, and you stand up that way, it's going to cost you something. People are now coming after you. They are going to hate you. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to abuse you. They are not going to like you. Our church standing for life, guys, it will cost us something. Standing for Jesus will cost you something. At some point, you're going to climb this ladder in faith as you believe, then apply. Believe, then apply. Believe, then apply. You are going to have to give something up to go up to more levels of faith. It will cost you something personal. Cost Abraham something personal. And then when God gives it to you, he's going to ask you to sacrifice it. Which is exactly what happened with Isaac. He gives him his son, and then he takes him, he says, I want you to take your son to the altar, and I want you to sacrifice him for me. His one and only son that he was believing God for and standing for God for. And then Sarah actually jokes and goes, ha oh, that's never going to happen. And the Lord like rebukes her for it, okay? And God tests Abraham's faith in the midst of that. Will you believe me for this, this son? All of this promise of all the nations and 
being the sand in the seashore, coming back and being a part of your great nation, like that has to start with at least one descendant. And he's 90, okay? He's mega old for having babies, all right? And, and God's like, we're doing this thing. And Sarah laughs and he goes, hey, you gonna believe me for this or not? And he tests Abraham and he tests his desire for righteousness. And he does that by going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And he sends these angels out and the Lord comes to the edge and he stands with Abraham and they looks out over Sodom and Gomorrah and he starts to test. It was a test for Abraham. He stayed there. He could have just left. And he stayed there to talk with Abraham. And Abraham's like, whoa, wait, what are you guys going to do right now? My cousin lives there, right? My, my brother, cousin, my brother, cousin. I can't remember if Lot was his brother or cousin. Nephew. Nephew. Yeah, it's something. My relative lives there. I wish I would have started with that. Okay. <laughs> so many details, remember, in the Bible. You try doing this, right? It's like, <sighs> he's like, come on now. I'm going to go blow up this city that your relatives live at. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. And he gets in this dialogue with the Lord that God already knew the end. He knew what he would do. And he was testing Abraham to see if he valued what he valued. He was not testing Abraham like the Lord was confused of what he was going to do right there. He was teaching Abraham about his nature. That yes, he would save a whole city if there was one righteous person in there. And he goes through this whole exchange with Abraham about like, would you save it for 50? Would you save it for 20? Would you save it for whatever? And then he gets down to like the number basically in Lot's family. He's like, would you just save it for my family? And he goes, yeah, I would. But then he couldn't find that number in there. And so he smoked him anyway. And he pulled those individuals out that actually ran, right? <clears throat> this was about a test of Abraham's, for Abraham and his faith and his desire to know the nature of God. In your faith, you're going to mature and you're going to learn the nature of God. And that's one of the most important things he's trying to teach each one of us as we're growing in faith is about who he actually is. And we have all kinds of thoughts about how we think and who we think he really is. And then as we mature in our faith, God shows us who he is. He shows up in who he is. And when we know who he is, it increases our faith, guys. Your faith will take a mega leap when you believe in the living God and you align your belief with who he really is. That's when you feel a massive surge in your faith and increase in your faith, and you're moving on to a mature faith. A mature faith doesn't believe in a God who does not exist. It believes in the reality of the God who is. And many things we believe about God are mystical, made-up stuff. Just go back in world history at all the dark ages and the weird stuff that happened throughout all of Christianity that we wish we could erase away. They're weirdos that believed in a bunch of weird stuff that was not God. And hardly any of them read the flipping Bible. you got to read the Bible. That is a huge factor. Reading the Word, applying the Word to your life. The, the Bible is a gift for each one of us to help us grow in our faith. But it is not just a stagnant book that is not designed, that, that is designed to just live without encounter. You're designed to encounter the Lord. And to read and learn his word and encounter the Lord and to mature your faith and then reapply what you learned. 
and grow and grow and give up more things and let go of your earthly life and your fleshly life to live for what God has entrusted to you. And then when God gives you the promise, the thing he said, hey, you're going to do this thing, just like Isaac on the altar, he's going to say, I want you to give that thing up for me. Will you trust me with the very thing that I said and promised that you were going to do? Because he doesn't want your hands or my hands on the promise. Because what happens when we get the promise, we get excited. Woo, I got the promise. And we go do the stupid stuff that we did when we were immature. And God's like, when that happens, he wants to know that this is purely worship. And so Isaac, on the altar, Isaac and Abraham go up this, up this mountain. God tells him to give his one and only son, whom he promised to do all this stuff through, and sacrifice him on the altar. And Abraham's like, hey, I'm going to do it. The whole way along the way, Abraham is uh, telling Isaac, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. Why did he say that? Because he knew God. He knew his nature that he was going to fulfill the promise. God will provide a lamb. And he knew that was going to happen. And so he was willing to go a whole distance. And because of that, God sealed the promise with Abraham. And he said, listen, you're not going to do this. This is now foreshadowing. I wanted this to happen so that you would see how I was going to fulfill the saving of all my people. And I'm going to provide the lamb. And yes, he provided an offering for that day, but he was talking about Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of your faith and my faith is in Jesus. The ultimate maturing of your faith and my faith is fully culminated in the sacrifice that Jesus made. Not on that mountain at that time, but on that mountain a few thousand years later, Jesus went up there and he died for your sin and my sin to perfect our faith. He is the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. And everywhere Abraham went, he just kept building one altar after another for everything that God did in his life. And that's the thing I want us to think about in our life today is when you go back and when you start to create an altar of remembrance for all the ways that God has done something in your life and not forget the things along your journey and do not give up on your maturing faith just because you haven't seen it yet. And just because you've accidentally sold your wife twice to a Pharaoh. Probably didn't literally happen, but figuratively, okay? You know what I'm saying? God just wants to move in your life. And he wants to move in the lives of people around you, and it matters so much. You don't know who you are. You don't understand who you could be. And you don't know the ramifications of your faith being applied or not being applied. How many people will not encounter the Lord and know him in your personal sphere? through your personal life if you give up on your faith journey. God doesn't, he didn't design you to give up. And he didn't make you to be perfect. In your imperfect faith, God wants to just use that. It is enough. It's all he needs. And he wants you to keep growing. He is expecting that your faith is going to grow and not stay the same size. When he puts a seed in the ground, he expects it to become whatever it was designed to be. If it's a mustard seed, it's a mustard tree. And it's designed to produce not just a little fruit, but a lot of fruit. 
And when he was saying to these his disciples, you don't have enough, he's just saying, listen, all you need is a little bit to get started. And we can do all kinds of awesome things together. Matthew 8, 5. Jesus said this to the centurion who believed him. He said he didn't even have to show up. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked him for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, I shall, come, shall I come and heal him? He asked him this question. Shall I come and heal him? This is a test. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. A great faith has this ability. It matures into this space where we can believe God for the huge gaps. It doesn't have to happen the way that we think it has to happen. It just has to happen. Because God is. Faith is a trust that God himself can do it however and whatever way he wants. And with whatever we have, he can get it done. This centurion disbelieved. Listen, all I need is a word from you. I don't need you to show up. You can speak it because I do this. And if I can do this as a natural person, certainly you can speak it and do this as a supernatural person. You are God. That centurion believed he was God. And all he had to do was speak. And, his, and at that exact moment, his, his servant was healed. In your life and my life, God is wanting to cause us to mature in our faith that it doesn't have to happen all the exact way. And it doesn't have to happen with the pile of stuff you have. It just has to happen with your faith and the gap will be filled with your faith by the living God. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. And Luke eleven nine says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. God is looking for hungry people that will just take a seat of faith and believe him and that will get past their own imperfections and mistakes and just press on and keep moving on and step over those things and keep listening and reapplying and listening and reapplying and listening and reapplying. And in that process, you will learn and you will look back and go, wow, I can't believe how great my faith is right now. Even when God does not answer the prayer, that's one of the greatest tests of your faith is when you're praying and believing God for something that doesn't happen. And the thing you feared the most happens. Can you trust him in the midst of that? Abraham trusted God for decades to have a baby. And they just couldn't over and over and over. Until finally, willing to stick it through for the promise? Are you willing to see what God could do with just your little basket of loaves and fish, your seed of faith?
you and I'll never know if we don't do it. Start somewhere. Start small, guys. Just have enough to get going. Amen? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.